I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Fashion Unzipped, the new podcast from the Telegraph fashion team. Thanks for joining us. A little later today, we'll bring you a special interview with supermodel, body activist, swimwear designer, and general all-around goddess Ashley Graham. I spoke with Graham when she was in town for the Harper's Bazaar Women of the Year Awards in November, and she had a lot to say about bikinis, confidence, and how to make the most of your curves. But first, we have some major fashion news to cover. So with me today are Bethan Holt, Fashion News and Features Director. Hello. And Charlie gowan Zeglinton, Senior Fashion Editor. Hi. Guys, huge news broke on Sunday morning. LVMH finally announced who will succeed Phoebe Philo at Celine. The new designer is, drumroll please, we all know the answer, Eddie Slimane. Except he's not just the designer. His title is Artistic, Creative, and Image Director of Celine. In this capacity, he'll oversee the design of all women's wear collections and launch menswear, couture and beauty collections for the brand. In a statement, Slimane said, I am delighted to join Bernard Arnault in this all-embracing and fascinating mission for Celine. I greatly look forward to returning to the exciting world of fashion and the dynamism of the ateliers. What do we think about this? Are we happy to see Slimane going to our beloved Celine? Well, the last place that, that he, we saw him, of course, was Saint Laurent. He spent about three and a bit, nearly four years there. And in his time there, he completely tore up the rule book. He changed the name. He moved the atelier to his preferred city of Los Angeles, not very French at all. And he took a brand that had really been noted for its feminine, sensual you know, slightly androgynous chic into a brand that turned out 3,000-pound versions of Courtney Love's, you know, mid-'90s tour wardrobes. That's my opinion. As if Celine wasn't expensive enough. As if Celine wasn't expensive enough. (laughs) Facing, you know, potential price tag hikes there too. It's true, but it just just seems like what he did at Saint Laurent, it was very successful. I mean, he left it as a billion-dollar brand, but it seems so... um, so opposed to everything that Celine stands for, doesn't it? Well... What's interesting is that if we had been having this conversation when Eddie was appointed at Saint Laurent and in the years afterwards, we'd kind of been, would have been saying the same thing. You know, many fashion journalists anyway were kind of completely outraged by what he did at Saint Laurent and, you know, that he was tearing up the rule book, as you said, Emily, and not being graceful to the heritage of the house and yet it was hugely commercially successful but 
I think what's really interesting with him going to Celine is that he's following in the footsteps of Phoebe Philo, who has put such a stamp of her own individuality on that house. Um, there's nothing else really before Phoebe that you can think of as what would define Celine, really. I think maybe self- I'm wrong. I think selfishly, Celine has become for so many of us the brand for power dressing. It's modern. She does. Phoebe does beautiful tailoring, but she still introduces colour. It's still feminine and it's still got a softness, even though really she did kind of introduce androgyny. She championed trainers. She championed normcore. You know, all these all these pillars of the way we dress now came from Phoebe at Celine. And for so many of us, you know, whether or not you've bought into Celine or you've been buying it at Zara you will have noticed these pillars of her design start to come into your wardrobe. And they're easy dressing kind of pillars. It's it's ease, it's comfort, it's great style. They're things you can actually work and live in. And I think that's what has made Phoebe kind of so beloved for all of us. Whereas Hedy Slimane, as beautiful as his designs are, they are unarguably less wearable. They are harder, they are darker, sexier, Shorter. spikier. Yeah, a lot of mini skirts, a lot of stilettos, um, a lot of black on black on black. And I mean, as much as that's a core colour for all of us, I think it's it's almost a little frightening to see what he might do to Celine. Well, exactly. That I, I mean, we're talking about the end of an era here, right? Mm-hmm. Under Phoebe Philo, Celine has meant fashion catnip for the thinking woman. And these were clothes that maybe men always didn't understand. You know, you wouldn't have have a guy go into a shop and think, oh, I'd like to see her in that, you know, body swamping trench coat. But women melted for this stuff. Mm. It's very powerful to have had to have have had a woman in a powerful position like this. I think that's the crux of it. I think Celine had become this paragon of a fashion house that hadn't really been touched by a male influence in terms of design. I mean, I know that Michael Kors was there for a long time, but. Phoebe had kind of wiped that slate completely clean and it was all about women she was the one that got Joan Didion in the in the adverts and she kind of really um, championed older women as well and it it felt like don't like to use this phrase but like a safe space in a way you know and with Eddie coming in he's moving the atelier to LA is he going to bring in all his kind of you know 20 year old rock kid bands, you know, skinny boys. I mean, they're introducing menswear as well, so it's going to become a, you know, it's definitely going to become a label that's not just about women. Um, Well, I I think something that we should note at this point is we are journalists, we're not, you know, fiction writers. (laughs) So there may be a certain, like, lack of imagination here about how great it may be, you know, and we, I think we would all love to be totally surprised and and And, swept away in his vision. And I'm sure it will be beautiful. I think the concern is just that Phoebe Celine was so designed for the female gaze and you had this powerhouse of a woman designing these beautiful clothes that made us feel powerful. And I think, yeah, you do feel a little, you bristle a little bit, the idea that a man's taking over. And what will he do? Is he going to have us all wanting to wear stilettos again? I'm not sure, but I'm sure it will be beautiful, but it's just, it's a shock. Well, I hope that everyone who goes to the show in March, Phoebe's last, (laughs) wears Stan Smith's in her honor. Uh, By the way, she is leaving by choice. You know, it's not, this is not a case of of pushing a woman out at the height of her powers. It's uh, no, of And she may be going on to even greater and more gorgeous We've things. Heard rumors. There's lots yeah. of rumors that 
maybe she's going to Burberry, one be that she might to be going to... that close to home. Yeah, <laughs> one that she might be going to Chanel even. Don't know if that's... Um, this is like any ground to it. rumor mill, guys. Yes, absolute pure conjecture. But, but I think that we all would agree that she probably has a lot more to say and we are waiting with breath that is bated to see what that is. Now in other fashion news, it's couture. This week, 33 designers are in Paris to hold their haute couture shows. These are the ultimate in luxury fantasy fashion with the price tags to match. So far, we've seen Dior, Hermes and Scaparelli. At the time of recording this on Tuesday, Karl Lagerfeld has just taken his bow at the Chanel show. Lisa Armstrong is in Paris for the shows and she's going to join us now. Hi, Lisa. How's Paris treating you? Um, Paris is treating me in, in, the, in the usual way, you know, it's... Um it has its ups and downs, but it's pretty nice to be here, I must say. The weather's terrible. I think it's worse than London, so everyone in, in the UK can take heart from that. How do the couture clients cope with the the weather? Does it touch them oh, at all? Really, no, it doesn't really touch them, they, because they have their um, they have their walkers with, with umbrellas who are always by their side, and somehow they seem to allow the walkers through all the security, so they are never damp. No moisture gets near them. And um, there's quite a lot of, of Chanel. There was sort of lots of little very pale mink jackets, short. It was really interesting for me to contrast it with the show that Karl Lagerfeld just did, you know, six weeks ago, if that, in Hamburg, the, the um, Metier d'art, because that was um, that was quite mono, monochrome. I, I mean, actually, it might have been triochrome, if there's such a word, but it was, I think, mainly navy black and white um sort of hamburg but a kind of very chic um rose tinted you know the beetles beetles flat caps from you know looking back to their days at the cavern when they played there um peacoats fishermen's jumpers flared trousers it was it was kind of my favorite kind of wardrobe this was completely different it was super super saccharine sweet incredible pastel colors I, I mean how the tweed um mills get those colors is i, I would love to see that mm. um sparkly layers of um chiffon and tulle if you like sort of um a 1950s hollywood rendition of paris this was it it was like um angelina ballerina angelina i should say it was so different from 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 the from the metier d'art, and I sort of think it's an incredible um, aspect of Chanel. A, it's a bit like Doctor Who; it can keep regenerating itself every six weeks in a different um, iteration. And also Karl Lagerfeld, I mean, eighty-four, churning out all these collections, and they're each so different. Lisa, you were you were also at the Dior show last night, which you know was kind of went back to that more monochromatic point of view, didn't it? It did. Um, and actually, for me, I love Maria Grazia Curie, but it didn't, it didn't quite work. It, it sort of became, it looked very stark, the way she did the black and white, and it, and it, and it became quite repetitive for me. Um, there were still great things in there, like the bar jacket, which instantly looks amazing in white, in white sort of duchess satin. I kept sort of entertaining myself by imagining what Jennifer Lawrence would find to fall 
um, face flatten <laughs> in an all-white silk Dior trousers. I did um, find the dress. It was kind of sequins embroidered in the shape of breasts on the front. That was quite an interesting statement. I was hoping we might see someone on the red carpet wearing that before long. I know. And I was, I really, I forgot to mention that in my copy. I was so sort of... Um, <laughs> Um, brushed the time and stuck the space. But, of course, that was a nod to the surrealist. She, Maria, Maria Grazia had been very um, inspired, as was Christian Dior himself. He was friendly with um, with um, with surrealists and, um, and collected their, their art. But um, so, so she had um, all sorts of motifs. She had um, the doves. She, she had sort of um, disembodied hands, um, appliqued and embroidered onto clothes and then there were we were given um hey guys you're gonna be really jealous um your surrealist tattoos on the way out temporary Ooh. tattoo transfers um do i give them to my eight-year-old nieces or do i keep them for myself i expect you, you to have one on on each forearm when you come in i i will try my best to oblige <laughs> <laughs> any other takeaways from paris any other wonderful moments and people watching or well, I tell you what's themes? really interesting is that um, people are really mourning the um, departure of um, of Phoebe now that they know she's going to be replaced by Eddie because I think in the same way that in fashion used to be divided by the sort of Armani school of thinking or the Versace school of thinking, you know, maximalism versus minimalism, I think fashion a lot has been sort of polarised around Eddie's sort of rock chick look at Saint Laurent and Phoebe Philo's uh, sort of androgynous but incredibly refined and always interesting taste at Celine. And it's, uh, it made me realise that actually will Eddie try and impose that look that he did at Saint Laurent at Celine? Will his ego... Um, take on what Phoebe did or is that a pointless thing should he just do his own thing at Celine I mean she did her own thing there after Michael Kors I, I think watch this space but people are sort of saying where are the women designers of course actually being a woman designer doesn't necessarily mean that you design women friendly clothes I think a lot of the sheer clothes in Maria Grazia's um, collection for Dior yes they felt a little bit out of time particularly with what's going on in Hollywood on the red carpet but you know Eddie's last show at um at Saint Laurent was full of incredibly thin incredibly thin models mm. uh, didn't seem particularly female friendly or diverse whereas Phoebe Philo that those clothes were always cut you felt they would work on quite a lot of different shapes actually anyway let's see I I, I aim to be totally objective in, in the coming months. But one thing's for sure, it will be fascinating to watch what happens. You can read more of Lisa's take on the Couture shows online. And this is just another good chance for us to remind you that we do round up all the stories, pictures, and links relevant to the podcast in a news story on the site every week. Visit telegraph.co.uk slash fashion to find out more about these and other stories. And please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the great stories we have coming up. This year, Ashley Graham became one of the world's top 10 highest paid fashion models. She's the only curvy model to rank alongside Kendall Jenner, Bella and Gigi Hadid, and Giselle Bündchen on that list. 
She's also a body activist, lingerie designer, swimwear designer, author, TV presenter, and TED Talk giver. Her talk, called Plus Size, More Like My Size from 2015, has been viewed more than two million times. Thanks to her starring spot on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue in 2016, she's also the model that even the least fashion-inclined men in your life are likely to have heard of. And she's a lot of fun. Straight your hair is amazing. Hair. Yours is. Well, this I is... like this interview. Thank you. <laughs> I met Graham when she was in London late last year, and I was struck by the obvious. She's gorgeous. She looks like Eva Mendes' curvier twin sister. And she's confident. I don't mean confident for a larger woman. I mean confident. She believes in herself. She wants you to believe in yourself. And she considers helping women feel at home in their bodies one of the most important parts of her public platform. It's no accident that so many pieces in her new Marina Rinaldi denim collection are fitted. Nor is it an accident that the swimmer she creates for her swimsuits for all range tends to be skimpy. Her attitude is, if you've got it, flaunt it. And everyone's got it. I feel like if I'm showing more of my body and the bathing suit is less constricting, then I'm actually, I look, it's, it's just more flattering on my body. So what I've done in my collection is I've made the, the holes of the, of the um, leg higher so that it elongates your leg. And then um, a couple pieces, I actually put hourglass cutouts so that if you aren't hourglass, it creates one for you. All the necklines are super low, so all of this looks very long. Um, my mother, for the longest time, only wanted to wear tents. And when I created my collection, she goes, I can't wear this, this is too sexy. She finally put one on, she's like, okay, I like it. <laughs> I feel good, you know? But the thing is, like, if you don't have support in your breasts, mm -hmm. and if you don't feel support in your tummy, you're not going to feel great in a swimsuit. Mm -hmm. And I know that. So everything has support except for the string bikini. <laughs> Ashley Graham isn't exactly an overnight success story. She grew up mostly in the Midwestern U.S. state of Nebraska and was scouted in a local shopping mall when she was 12 years old. She began working almost immediately and hasn't stopped for nearly two decades. In this longer excerpt, she talks about her early career and how she knew she was destined for something bigger. In the beginning, I really loved the travel, and I loved that I was traveling the world on someone else's dime. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older, I realized, okay, traveling is exhausting. Um, especially with as much as I do now. I wish I, somebody would invent teleporting. That's yeah. just, I mean, yeah, that would be awesome. But now, in realizing the impact that my career has made, what my favorite part about modeling is talking to women whose lives are literally changed because I've just told my story or because they've seen an image of, of someone who looks like them in a store, in a magazine, and they say, finally, like, I'm represented. To me, that brings me joy. I was going to my office, and I was taking pictures in some hideous clothes, and it was like expected of me to be fat and happy, and, and that's just what my career was. I always wanted more. I always wanted to have what um, the token plus size model of the year always had because that's all there ever was. There was only one girl every year that was a plus size model that had like her big moment. It was usually Vogue shape issue that she was in. And then that would be it. And then the next girl would have her year. And then that's all you would see of those girls. And, um, and then I realized, you know, this, this, there has to be more. There really does. And, um, I was in a commercial for Lane Bryant that was banned, and it kind of opened up this whole new world and door for me 
to, to know that I actually had a voice and that there was something bigger and better than just being a catalog model, which there's nothing wrong with that at all, but I just knew that I wanted something else and I started doing public speaking and talking to middle school, high school age girls. So that ad got banned because it was too risky. Too, too racy. Too racy. Mm -hmm. That was like the best thing that could have happened probably. Best thing. I mean, that opened up a whole door for me. I mean, I, my agent called me at the time and he was like, okay, this is either going to be your moment and you're going to make it shine or it's just going to be like a moment. So you choose. And he said, just be positive, whatever you do. I had no media training or anything. And I just kind of went into the Jay Leno show like, hey, yeah, my boobs are all over the place. Like, you know, it was it was so wild, but it really opened up a door. And from there, I actually um, had the opportunity to create my lingerie line. Because of your, your body shape, um, a lot of the stuff that you were doing from very early on, including that, that ad, did come across as sexier than maybe, mm -hmm. um, you know, if a model with no boobs, mm -hmm. no figure did. Have you always felt like comfortable having your like having your body out there, or is that something that you had to kind of grow into as you were doing it? I'm a I'm not every woman is like this. Not even every model is like this. Mm -hmm. But I'm a special case in that like I would walk around butt naked. <laughs> If I could, because it's Great. just more comfortable for me. That's it. My mom said growing up that I was like a nudist and just kind of walked around the house butt naked all the time. And actually someone had twisted when I said that because it was like a foreigner that was um, interviewing me. I forgot where they were from. And it, the headline said, Ashley Graham, a nudist family. Like, <laughs> we call that, at the Telegraph, we call that a marmalade dropper. Right? <laughs> Um, but yes, I've always, I, everything has always been sexy. And I also feel like when you think of a sexy woman, you think of a voluptuous, big breast, big butt, um, very curvy. And that's also something that I've, I've been very vocal about is put clothes on us. Mm. For so many years, plus size women and curvy models haven't ever been clothed. We just like, they put pearls on us, some lingerie, and then boom, you've got a photo shoot. And I think that if more of us started saying like, you know what, I really just want to have like a cool editorial where it's actually about the fashion and not my body, that's what's going to make our bodies more normal in mainstream fashion. Of course she's dealt with her share of criticism. What's unusual is that Graham prefers to meet it head on, often replying to negative comments in her Instagram feed. It just really kind of depends on the photo and how much time I have. And if it's a, a photo where I know that's going to be a little bit more controversial, like where I posted just my cellulite, um, sitting cross-legged, I don't know if you saw that photo, but I, I was sitting cross-legged and I had a bunch of cellulite here and I just took a photo of it and I posted it and I was like, you know, this is just me, like, and it is what it is and I work out, I try to eat healthy, but cellulite is cellulite. And in that moment, I got a lot of praise, but obviously I got told, like, stop making fat look cool, you're gonna kill somebody. And those are the kinds of people where I'm like, you are part of the problem, and this is why I post things like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's good because I'm, I'm not only just, I'm not standing up for myself, who cares about me? I'm standing up for all the girls out there who have been told they're ugly, who've been told they're fat, who've been told they're unhealthy because people are judging them for, for just the outside of their body. Mm -hmm. And that's why I write back to people. And no, I don't do it on every photo because obviously I don't have enough time, but I would if I could. <laughs> One of the methods that Graham deploys in her fight against body insecurity is uh, 
affirmations. She says that she doesn't have to do this every day, but when she's having a down day, she strips down, she looks in the mirror, and she tells her reflection, I am bold, I am brilliant, I am beautiful, I am capable of anything and everything. And then she says, again, towards her own body, I love you. Uh, guys, have you ever done this? Where Are you going to start daily affirmations to your body? I haven't tried the affirmations, but I must say I spent a day with Ashley Graham once on a shoot, and the next day I went swimwear shopping because she is an inspiring woman. And I do think, actually, she has really harnessed this power in loving yourself. I think fashion definitely needs more people like Ashley Graham in it. You know, I think either people are often very scared to talk about body image or a lot of the conversation is around models who are too thin or actresses who are too thin or being thinner and you know fashion is about making you feel good about yourself and that should kind of start with feeling good about your body. She had such presence I'm sure that that Charlie you got this too but it really she seemed so authoritative and so sure of herself and incredibly warm and and kind of like the Oprah of of the model set really. Uh, it's no it's no coincidence that her next area to conquer is TV. She's um, going to take over the reality TV world, apparently, and I know that I'll be watching. Well, could it be Ashley Graham, 2040, empowering young girls with confidence all over the world, slash president of America? I've heard worse <laughs> suggestions, I've got to say. I mean, there, there is one point, which is, you know, listening to her talk about how she loved getting notes from young women saying, because of you now, I want to be a model. Yeah, that's empowering. But there was a, a little part of me that, that felt a twinge of, why does it have to be because of you I'm prepared to open myself to be judged in an image-based context? Why not because of you I'm going to do something that other people thought was impossible that didn't necessarily involve you know, putting myself up for scrutiny or judgment by the still narrow definition of beauty in the fashion world? You're right. It is kind of accepting that you're beautiful and kind of thinking, oh, great, now that I feel beautiful, I can share that with the world and everyone else will think I look beautiful too. And it the nicer takeaway for me is is the idea of being nicer to yourself in the mirror. I'm mean to myself in the mirror in the morning and kind of think, you know, under eye bags or needing too much ice cream. So that is a lovely concept that maybe we should cut ourselves some slack. I think there's, you know, enough people who are going to make you feel incompetent in your daily life that uh, actually, yeah, we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. And I guess true trailblazers are few and far between, aren't they? So, you know, we it would be nice if there were more women, maybe not exactly like Ashley Graham, but women of different sizes and shapes. Um, I mean, she's in the top 10 highest paid models in the world, and she's the only one who's over a sample size, as you said. So, I mean, if there is another beautiful girl out there, whether she's beautiful on the level of, Ashley Graham or in her own well obviously she would be in her own way then let's have them being cast in fashion shows and campaigns please well I think one of her core messages is that there are a lot of people out there and and that there should be space in fashion for everyone so anyone listening go home do your affirmations in the mirror make Ashley proud and of course pick up this Sunday's issue of Stella magazine free with the Sunday Telegraph to read the full story We've almost come to the end of the podcast, but first, what's something that you're excited about this week, Bethan? 
Um, on the weekend, I'm going finally to see the Modigliani exhibition at Tate Modern, which I think everyone else has probably been to see already. But um, um, talking of, you know, loving your body and nudity and everything, um, I think that maybe that would be a good good subject to reflect on that more. Obviously, that's a timeless preoccupation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also late to the party. I'm finally going to see Book of Mormon tomorrow, about three years after everyone else. Oh my God, how brilliant for you. I have to say, I, it's never been on my must-see list. I don't know if that's, that's cynical, um, but I'm interested to see if it meets the hype. I don't know how it possibly could, but... I'm sure you'll enjoy it, never, you know, nevertheless, whether it becomes your favourite thing of all time. But Yeah, I mean, it's an experience. It's pretty sophomoric. I mean, it's very Family Guy, South Park, in musical form. But as mixed as my feelings are about that musical, I can't hear anyone say the word Orlando without in my head hearing Orlando. <laughs> and that will happen to you, too, as of tomorrow. <laughs> well, I'll be asking you to sing it for me. <laughs> Have a bit of a sing-along, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so also on the theater front, I... I've talked about this before, you guys. I finally saw Hamilton in London on Thursday. (laughs) I cried almost from the beginning to the end. My Josh had to stop me from from like singing along. It really, I'm dying to do Hamilton karaoke. Please, let's make that happen. But again, what are you looking forward to now, Emily? Have you got anything to look forward to in life? No, my (laughs) life is empty basically until uh, until the next thing. No, uh, of course, there's there's a lot to look forward to. I really want to see Coco, the new Pixar movie, which is a children's movie, but I've heard great things. Um, And just finding new interests would be (laughs) would be a good idea now that Hamilton is over, because I don't think I can see it for a fifth time and like walk around like a sane person. You could. You could become a Hamilton super fan. You could fill your home with shrines to Hamilton. How do you know I haven't already? Well, you wouldn't be a true American if you weren't championing this latest import. That's true. And everyone else needs to see it, too. So enter the lottery every day. You will get to go see it. No excuse for you guys. I mean, the theater is right there. (laughs) I'll be there in three or four years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. Follow and message us at Telegraph Fashion on Instagram and comment on the stories. And again, please do subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're so inclined, leave us a glowing review. Thanks for listening. Check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped. Unzipped.